From the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster we present Let the Bible Speak. It's good to have you join us today as we spend time around the Word of God, preaching Christ in all His fullness to men and women in all their need. Let's just pray together uh, for the broadcast tonight, especially for the preaching of God's word. We're going to seek his face for his blessing. Our Father, we bow before thee, glad that we can enter into your presence, thankful for the great privilege that you've given to us. We rejoice, Father, that we're able to pray at any time and in any circumstance. You've assured us that your ear is always open to the cry of your people. We come, Father, to confess our need and to pray for your help and especially to cry for the power of your Spirit to rest upon the preaching of your word in this broadcast. We ask thee, Father, to remember your servant, the Reverend Lorimer. We pray that he especially will know the hand of God upon him tonight. We pray that he'll preach the word of God, not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the power and in the demonstration of the Spirit of the living God. 
We thank you today for Christ, our Savior, the one that loved us and that gave himself for us on Calvary's tree. Our prayer, Father, is that in this broadcast that he might be exalted and lifted up. We pray that he might have the preeminence in all that is said and done. And our prayer, Father, is that you'll speak uh, through this broadcast. We pray that you'll use the preaching of your word, especially to the saving of souls and to the building up and the edifying and encouraging of the Lord's people. Father, hear these, our cries, and we ask you to continue with us. Grant us a very powerful sense of your presence amongst us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're turning to read in the Word of God to the New Testament Scriptures, uh, to John's Gospel, chapter 3. We're beginning to read at the fourth verse, and we're reading the section of the chapter down to uh, verse 17. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Nicodemus saith unto him, that is unto the Lord Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We know the Lord will follow uh, with his blessing. Uh, this the public reading of his word. We're going to sing another hymn together. It's the words of the hymn, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the Reverend McMillan uh, for leading uh, the meeting, reading the scriptures, and we're uh, looking in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Now, before Nicodemus further, uh, well, proceeds in discussion, in the opening verses of John's Gospel, chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ, having read the real issue, the heart, that is, the need of the heart of Nicodemus, he breaks forth in by saying in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ knows that despite all his best efforts to keep God's law, despite doing the absolute best that he can in an attempt to merit favor with God, Nicodemus had no peace in his life. No peace in his heart, no peace with God, and therefore no assurance of heaven at the end of life's journey. Now, Nicodemus had wealth, a great possession. He had many things, but Nicodemus, as great as he was, he was a great sinner, as God makes it abundantly clear in Isaiah chapter 57 and the first 21, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The wicked meaning the unsaved, the unregenerate, the unconverted. And if Nicodemus was to have peace, the peace of God in his heart, then he must have something that all his good works and all his keeping of the law could not attain or provide. Nicodemus must be born again, born from above and bound up in his good works as many are to this present day. He didn't understand the necessity of the new birth, the spiritual birth. For his reply was, in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? To which Jesus Christ replies, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And when the Lord addresses the issue here of water, he is not speaking of baptism or bringing the erroneous teaching of baptismal regeneration. He was simply addressing the issue that Nicodemus had got the matter of peace with God and peace from God the wrong way round. Things were back to front. Nicodemus cannot see the kingdom of God. For the whole perception of being born again is beyond his comprehension. Therefore, Jesus Christ reminds him of the first principle of all things physical and spiritual. As he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And if we were to summarize in one simple sentence what Nicodemus was doing, it was this. He was trying to solve his spiritual problem by employing or using human means. And therefore, before Nicodemus could have and possess the assurance of eternal life that he sought, Nicodemus ne needed to be saved. He needed to see in the spiritual sense 
to see and understand that it was not through what he could do by good works, by human performance, that brought to him peace from God and peace with God, that peace could only come by a step of saving faith in the work of another. So Jesus Christ takes him in his mind's eye to a picture from the past in order to establish a principle of the present. He takes him to the Old Testament, to Numbers 21, telling him in verse 14 of John's Gospel, chapter 3, as or like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And remember, Nicodemus knows the Old Testament well. The lesson of how the people under judgment and death only had to take one look by faith at the serpent on the pole to be healed, to be made whole as it were. And so the Lord is now teaching that peace with God and peace from God is a matter of faith rather than works. And what we're being shown here and being led to is to the cross work of Jesus Christ, to his cross work, to the person and work of the blessed Redeemer. For Christ is showing us, along with Nicodemus, that salvation is neither by good works nor trusting in some religious system or ritual, but that salvation is by faith in what Christ has done for sinners at the place called Calvary. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, possess eternal life. You see, friend, God never instructs men to look to some performance of their own or to some institution or to some program of that matter to be saved. He says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. And I would dare say that there's some here watching on, listening on. And like Nicodemus, you've, you've been searching and seeking after a physical solution to a spiritual problem. And right up to this moment, you have thought that heaven can be gained by your own efforts. Well, friend, it's not so. And what was presented before Nicodemus is presented before us all is God's only remedy for sin. God's only remedy for sin. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that, he, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the only way in which men and women of any age can enter into a right relationship of peace with God is on the basis and on the grounds of God's love and God's gift of his Son to be the only Redeemer 
for lost sinners and of lost sinners. And we see this summed up in the words of John 3.16. And I want you to see God's passion. God's passion for God so loved the world. It's as though Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher who walked the face of this earth, cannot find the language to express the breadth, the height, the length and depth of God's love. So he employs the word so. For God so loved the world. Isn't this even what the children's chorus sets forth? To describe so high you can't get over it. So low you can't get under it. So wide you can't get around it. And in order to come to some perception of God's passion for this world, consider for a moment and take stock of the world in which we live. Oh, far, how far this old world has sunk into depravity through the effects of sin in the lives of men and women. And if we were given time we would go through an immense list of evils and immorality which we live among and is present in society. And of course, that would only be my perception of society today, which matters little. But what does matter is how God sees the world, how God views the world in which we live. What does matter is God's verdict concerning us today. And consider for a moment man's passion. Man's passion, the natural man is passionate about saying there is no God. Psalm 14, verse 1, the full have said in his heart there is no God. Isn't this what men and women are saying in our present day? No God in my heart. No God in my home. No God in my family. No God in my school or university. No God in my business or my affairs. And God says you're a fool. But what does God further say of man? Well, in verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 14, they are corrupt, they are, have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And what God is saying is that society stinks. Society is filthy. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, and in verses 27 to 28, the Lord Jesus Christ describing the most self-righteous Pharisees, and he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And such is the natural state of the human heart before God. And yet the text before us says, For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. And I have to confess that the love of God amazes me. Ever looking back in my unsaved days, 
I am amazed and baffled as to why God ever set his love upon me. And yet I'm amazed by the extent and strength of the love of God. I'm even more so when I'm taking up with, secondly, God's present. God's present that he gave. A gift that we have all reason to be thankful for. An unspeakable gift that he gave his only begotten son. Now, the word of God tells us that God owns everything. And everything that we have is but borrowed. Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. We're also told that the gold and the silver and all the wealth of heaven and earth belong to him. And yet when God sought out a remedy for sinful men, all the combined wealth of heaven and earth wasn't sufficient to take away sin. In fact, in the Old Testament, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of cattle, sheep, and goats were offered as sacrifices for sin. And yet, as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 makes it abundantly clear, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. You see, these all not sufficient. As the hymn writer puts it, not all the blood of beasts and Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. You see, not powerful enough to remove one stain of sin. Not of sufficient merit to meet the rigorous and demanding justice of Almighty God. And so God gave. God gave his only son the only son he had, to die in Calvary's cross for sinners like you and me. For there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He and he alone only could unlock the gates of heaven to let us in. But I want you to consider finally God's promise. In verse 16 of John 3, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand, dear friend? Young man, young woman, older man, older woman, whatever your status in life, if you are still in your sin, you are in extreme danger of perishing in hell for all eternity. And if you as an individual still to this very moment have not embraced Jesus Christ, have not in that simple act of saving faith, and you die as you are now currently living, you will perish in hell forever. Unsaved, whether religious or irreligious. Unsaved individual, if you are trusting in something else or someone else for the eternal security of your never-dying, ever-living soul, then as God's Word reveals, I tell you right now, you will surely perish. God's promise says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, salvation comes by faith in the cross work of Christ. 
And the salvation of your soul, dear friend, depends solely and entirely upon your taking the sinner's place before God, pleading the merits of Christ's atoning sacrifice before God, confessing uh, to God your total sinfulness and your absolute powerlessness to do anything to save yourself. See, my friend, God's power to deal with sin is not lodged in the church or in good works or doing the best we can. God's power to take away your sin as he took away mine is stored in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this alone is the only remedy for sin. Therefore, cease. Cease this very moment from trying to find your own way to heaven. Cease from your fruitless and barren search for peace of heart and mind in what you can do. Come and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Let us bow in prayer. Our gracious Father, we pray that thou wilt take that which has been of thyself Apply it savingly to hearts. We pray that thou wilt do thy gracious work, knowing that salvation is of the Lord. We ask these things in our Saviour's precious name and for Saviour's sake. Amen. Thank you for spending some time with us today around the Word of God. For further information, visit our website at ltbs.org. TV. We look forward to joining with you next time as we seek to let the Bible speak once again.